Welcome to the Hospitality Forward podcast with listeners in more than 160 countries worldwide. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hannah Lee Communications, as well as the award-winning co-author of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail and The Food and Beverage Writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. We believe everyone has a story to share, so we created our podcast where our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, these top journalists from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel industry professionals can be featured in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guest tips. So, you could be next. In addition, we give away a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, to a listener who shares how our podcast helped them tell their story to the media. Simply email us at hello at hanaleecommunications.com, have hospitality forward in the subject line, and share the tip that you learned. And now, on with the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Emma Jansen. Emma is an award-winning journalist and author who writes about spirits and cocktails for outlets including The New York Times, Punch, Eater, and more. Emma won a James Beard Award and a Spirit Award from Tales of the Cocktail for The Bartender's Manifesto, co-authored with Toby Maloney, and earned a James Beard Award for The Way of the Cocktail, co-authored with Julia Momose. She's also the author of the James Beard Award-nominated book, Mezcal. Emma is currently the Drinkways Editor for Good Beer Hunting and serves as the Midwest Academy Chair for the World's 50 Best Bars and North America's 50 Best Bars. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the show. So nice to see you. It's so nice to see you all, too. Thanks for having me here today. Emma, you wear so many hats. You are an award-winning writer and an author, as well as an editor and a photographer. So tell us how you got into journalism to begin with. I really learned on the job. Coming out of uh, film school, my first job was with the local newspaper in Austin, Texas, uh, the Austin American Statesman, where I started as uh, an editorial assistant on the Metro desk, answering phones and um, typing obits and and whatnot. And uh, I worked my way up there to uh, multimedia producer. Um, where I did a lot of video editing and audio editing and things of that nature on both the news and entertainment sides. Uh, and then I started writing as part of that job um, about cocktails and spirits and ended up having the uh, Liquid Austin beat. So I would cover all things drinks um, in the city. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, I never thought that would be the part of the career that would take off. But I guess sometimes the best laid plans end up being not what you think they're going to be, but uh, great nevertheless. Welcome to our world. <laughs> and, and our world is much more higher spirited because of it. <laughs> Thank you. So how did Agave Spirits become one of your key focuses? Was there a specific epiphany moment that really you know, revealed itself to you? 
Mm, it was it was during that time at the newspaper. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, around 2009, 2010, um, when the cocktail movement was taking off in the city. And um, so I kind of came into it through cocktails. Uh, but it was also the same time that mezcal was really starting to take off in the city too, right? Um, of course, that had been happening for a little bit longer in New York. Um, but as it was trickling down into Texas, um, you know, I, I really got my first taste of it. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up falling in love with it. Um, the, the diversity of flavor between bottlings was so interesting to me. And as soon as I started to dig into its backstory and realizing, um, you know, how rich a culture and tradition that there was behind this movement, um, I was just kind of captivated and, um, kind of stuck, stuck with it ever since, even though I, through the years have had to write about many different kinds of drinks. Um, the agave spirits world and the Mexican spirits world has really been um, something that's always come back to me and something that I've always kind of held very close, um, you know, in terms of being passionate about writing about it. And your, your, your passion definitely comes through. I mean, your article for Eater, the great mezcal heist, which won the Tales of the Cocktail Spirit Award this summer, uh, you really documented how, Many indigenous producers are actually now ditching the term mezcal entirely and are rebelling against the certification programs. So what inspired you to write this story? That was such an interesting one to write. And it was a topic that I didn't really have space to get into in my first book um, about mezcal, which came out in uh, 2017. And so it had been something that was on my radar at the time, but it just, I didn't have the space in that kind of forum to, to go deep into it. And so uh, my editor at Eater, Leslie, came to me and said, you know, hey, we've got this big package on Oaxaca that's about to run. And, and what do you think about this as a story idea? And I said, oh, yes, yes, that's, you know, something we should definitely dig into. And she was very generous in giving me um, a lot of space to really kind of dig deep into it. How do you really balance the fact that in, in some respect you do glamorize and romanticize mezcal as as should be, but, you know, the, the problem of it attracting, you know, more commercialization and, you know, more people, you know, outside companies coming down to invest in it? Yeah, no, it's, it's extremely tricky and it's something um, that I think about all the time. And I give a little bit of insight into um, there was a personal essay I wrote for Gabir Hunting last year about the way that I go about reporting stories like this in Mexico. And it is a, it is a question that's constantly going through my head is, is, you know, am I contributing to making this category just look more appealing for foreign investors to come in? Uh, or am I doing something good and helping to share the stories of traditional producers? Um, I don't know that I'll ever have an exact answer to that question. I'd like to think that in the way that I approach it, which is, you know, keeping the voices of traditional producers kind of at the forefront of every story and, and trying to, you know, help amplify their experiences and their stories, educating consumers that there is a difference here between these people who are doing it traditionally and this kind of big commercial machine. I feel like that's all I can do, right? I can bring that information to the table and hope that people make good decisions with it. Mm -hmm. Well, also, congratulations on your first wire-cutter story in the New York Times. Thank you. I mean, your article was about the 12 best Blanco tequilas, and it was so comprehensive. So how long did the process take from research to publication? 
Yeah, that one was really exciting to write and so much behind the scenes work. It it took almost an entire year from start to finish, you know, trying to, a lot of that was setting the criteria for what bottles would be included in the tasting. Are you going to do aged? Are you going to do unaged? Um, are you going to do flavored? Things of that nature. And so just setting the criteria to like traditional production, no additives, unaged. Really, the idea was what tequilas are out there that are the most vibrant expression of the agave plant possible. Um, and, and that is, you know, when production is done slowly, kind of traditionally, um, there aren't any other things coming into play that are going to mask those flavors of the agave. And so, yeah, from there, you know, narrowed it down, narrowed it down, narrowed it down, tasted, I think it was 24-ish, 25 in the final round, and then managed to narrow that down to the top 12. Um, so yeah, that ended up being like 9,000 words, I think, because there was so much education to do on you know, how do you make tequila in a way that it's going to taste that vibrant? Um, so it was, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of work, a lot of fun. Also, I liked how you layered in uh, the various cocktail applications, Yeah, which was a, a very useful piece of information for folks who like to mix tequila cocktails. Thank you. Yeah. As we certainly yeah, do. I, I tried them all in a Tommy's margarita in a margarita with orange liqueur, and then also with Topo Chico and a little bit of lime as a ranch water. So that was also another layer of a lot of testing um, that was delicious. I'm getting thirsty already. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Those are all our favorites. So speaking of good beer hunting, you're the Drinksways editor of that publication. So can you tell us about uh, good beer hunting and what exactly a Drinksways editor does on a regular basis? Um, so Good Beer Hunting started as a Chicago-based beer blog, essentially. Um, in in recent years, it is transformed into an indie publication that for a while I've thought has been doing some of the best drinks journalism, period, in the space. And so last spring, um, the founder, Michael Kaiser, came to me and um, you know, they had a job opening coming up for, uh, it was essentially North American editor. And I said, I love y'all so much and I really want to be part of your team, but it's been so long since I've written anything in the beer space. You know, I really kind of found my niche in spirits and cocktails and, um, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think I'm the right fit for this. And he came back and he said, oh, you know what? That's actually, what would you think about us maybe just creating this position for you essentially. And, and so drink ways is inspired by the concept of food ways, right? So, um, culture, um, social, economic, historic practices of food, but, you know, seven drinks for food and, um, specifically non beer content. So I'm really here to take the publication, um, beyond beer, um, ideally bringing in um, some of the cocktail and spirits world's talented writers, um, interesting ideas, 
It was great to see the good beer hunting folks winning a couple of awards at the uh, James Beer Foundation Awards uh, this year. Yes. So, bravo yes. to them. Very, very good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we have a lot of bartenders, bar owners, and spirits brand owners listening to our show. So for that, can you share your top three tips on how to get on your radar and potentially be featured in your stories? For stories that I'm writing, if you're a spirits producer um, or a bartender or an importer or a distributor or someone who's working in the realm of agave or Mexican spirits or or even other spirits, you know, I'm not writing a ton about other ones right now, but it, that doesn't mean I won't in the future. I mean, feel free to just reach out to me independently and say, hey, I think I would be a really good resource for you should you need someone like me in the future. Because I'm always looking to widen my pool of sources, right? So, and this goes for bar programs too. So bar owners, bartenders, et cetera. I, I think the key part of that though is um, I get a lot of people who will send me an email or send me a DM and just say, hey, choose me for this. And and that doesn't really help me, right? Um, I think give me some context or insight into why you should be a good source for me. Things like how long have you worked in the industry? Like what aspect of your job are you most passionate about? Like what is the perspective that you bring to the table? What I, I really want to see that you as a source, that you have a proven track record in this space, and that you have a good understanding of the category that you operate within too. And maybe even ideally other, you know, other disciplines and other professions so that you can kind of draw bigger picture ideas and comparisons, you know, that, that just show me that you're in the know. Um, and then as a, as a editor, you know, for writers who are listening and interested in pitching, I feel like I get, I've had a certain amount of pitches that sound like they're just trying to check the right boxes. And then whenever a pitch comes in and I can tell that that writer is actually super passionate about what they're pitching me, like they're really into the idea, you know, and they, and, and maybe it just, it wouldn't fit anywhere else, you know, cause there are a lot of outlets, I think that have a very rigid idea of what they're looking for. You know, show me that love, right? Show me that detail and that passion. And also like read the style guide because so many people don't. And, and that will give you, you know, really good insight into like, I need a headline. I need a subhead. This is how much we pay. Um, you know, these are the types of stories that we take and the types of stories that we're not super interested in. Um, it'll save you a lot of time down the line and it'll, it'll save me time as well, but it'll also save me, you know, the pain of having to email you back and be like, this is not a fit for us. So, you know, as as a writer myself, I get a lot of pitches from both individuals and brands, and some are great, some less so. Uh, what kind of information should people prepare prior to reaching out to you? What What kind of assets should they have handy? One of the biggest things is not just pitching a general topic, like, I want to write about uh, Michigan walnut liqueur. I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't really tell me what your story is going to be about, right? So specificity, I think, is is really key. So is it about, you know, this fourth-generation farmer who's been making this liqueur for generations of his family and he's under threat from this big commercial guy down the street or, you know, like something specific. I need a narrative arc. I need to know what the beginning, the middle, and the end is going to be. And also, like, who you plan on talking to. 
you know, not just, oh, I plan on talking to someone in the government. It's like, okay, well, who exactly are you, are you going to talk to in the government? What is the perspective that they're adding to the story? I really need to kind of be able to envision how that story is going to play out on the page based on your pitch. So then how about bartenders and bar owners who really don't have a PR agency, but they know they have a great compelling story to share. Before they reach out to you, what type of information do they need to be prepared? Yeah, no, I think a um I think a biography is super helpful, especially because those things aren't always readily accessible on the internet, right? And so if you're not a person who has already received many, many headlines, uh, when I go to Google you and I can't find you, that's I, I need you to tell me who you are and what your perspective is and, and kind of like what you want to be known for as well, I think would be helpful. Um, a really good place also to include that kind of stuff is on Instagram, uh, like on social media profiles, because I've done a few projects this year where I've been looking for good bartenders to feature, like, like who's the best bartender in this region of Mexico or this region of the Midwest. And, you know, I'll go to their social media profile and, and it, sometimes it barely says where they even work. So like, keep it updated with where you work now, maybe where you worked in the past. Show me some examples of your work on your grid, right? In your feed. Um, if it's all cat photos, I'm going to be like, well, that's great. She loves cats. I love cats too. But, you know, if, if you think of it as a professional tool, editors, you know, it's not just me. I know so many people um, who Instagram is kind of a business card these days. And so I think um, having a, a basic level of information about who you are, what you do, and what your style is in your Instagram feed would be enormously helpful. How important is it for a pitch to have a news hook, you know, not everyone is opening a new bar or launching a new spirits brand. So what do you suggest for them? Yeah, I love um, getting pitches that are not, you know, just what's new, what's new, what's new. Uh, in the cases that something is not brand new, you know, maybe there isn't necessarily a timely hook, but there still needs to be some kind of hook, I think, for me. So I think all pitches still need to answer the question, why should I care about this? And by I, I mean like readers. Why should readers want to read this story? What is it going to give them? What are they going to walk away with? Um, keeping the audience in mind, I think, usually makes for a stronger pitch, a more compelling pitch, and usually one that I'm more keen to green light. So Emma, you and Michael have something very special in common writing award-winning books. Mm -hmm. So congrats to you for winning the James Beer Award twice and the Tales of the Cocktail Spirit Award. Thank you. <laughs> and congrats to my boo, Michael, for winning the same award last year at Tales of the Cocktail. So very honored to have a both award-winning authors <laughs> on our show. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Emma, beyond writing your own book, Mezcal, uh, you're also the co-author of books with top bartenders like Julia Momose and Toby Maloney. So for bartenders who aspire to write books, what is your criteria for partnering with them? Oh, that's a good question and probably something I need to um, start thinking about moving forward. So far, it's just been, um, is this a, you know, is this an interesting story? Is this a book that 
has been done before, or is there a new perspective here that's going to add to the conversation? I think that's that's kind of my number one. The other thing is, uh, you know, making sure that we have a good rapport together, I think is really important because as, as I'm sure you know, as a co-author, you're tied to this person for a very long period of time. It's, it's a little, a little marriage. Yes. No, it really is. And, um, you know, if you've got a good rapport with that person, if you've got a good working dynamic, I think it shows in the final text. And so I, I do feel like that's pretty important as well. Those are the first two like really big things. From there, I'd probably need to actually start making my own list and thinking more critically about it. Um, I've kind of just been so thankful to have projects come my way so far that I haven't thought too hard about them. I've I've kind of you know I've I've looked at them and said, yeah, I think I think that's I think that could be fun and uh, and interesting and contribute something and like let's do it kind of thing. Any scoop on any upcoming books? Yeah, um, so I'm just about to finish production um co-authoring Jimmy Han's third book Ooh. it's called The Bartender's Pantry and um that comes out next May which is really exciting congratulations Thank you. and then um Toby Maloney and I uh we wrote Bartender's Manifesto together um we are about to sign a contract with Clarkson Potter to do a follow-up book which is also really exciting. Um, Toby's just a, a dream storyteller to work with. And um, this one we're building up, you know, from the ground together. So uh, there'll be a, a little bit more of me in there, um, but not too much because he's really the entertaining one. That, that he is. And so excited for you and uh, Jimmy Han as well. Thank you. Yeah, that's going to be a good one as well. I'm excited about it. In the coming months, what kind of stories will you be working on that our listeners can be part of? For the most part, I don't have any big features on my plate right now that I'm writing. So I'm mostly working on the book stuff. And um, so I think for listeners, I would say that Good Beer Hunting Drinkways column is definitely, um, you know, the way to go. I'm doing one to two stories a month there, so nothing crazy, but definitely always on the look for uh, something really interesting. And I and I do we we do as a team develop some ideas in house as well. So for writers, you know, you can pitch me directly, um, but for bar owners. Um, and other types of, uh, you know, bartenders and other types of people. Um, there's no harm in shooting me an email and saying, hey, I've had this idea that I haven't seen represented anywhere else. If they don't want to write it, that's okay. Like, I can find a writer. You know, as you mentioned, they can reach out to you and introduce themselves so that in the future, when you get a chance to, you know, work on a story on a specific topic and you have a, you know, additional resource. So 100%. we encourage our listeners to voluntarily and proactively reach out to the one and only Emma. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So we're going to shift gears for a moment and look at another important role that you have, which is Midwest Academy Chair for the World's 50 Best Bars. As you know, uh, we've been working with 50 Best Bars for several years, so it's so great to be a part of the same family. And they're really championing the bar industry. So what does being an Academy Chair really entail? It's a really fun job. I am essentially in charge of picking out voters for both uh, World's 50 Best Global and uh, World's 50 Best Bars uh, North America. 
And so that's twice a year. Essentially, I put together a roster of voters from the Midwest, um, about half bartenders, a quarter of um, like cocktail educators, um, and then enthusiasts, um, people like writers. It's quite straightforward in that respect. Um, but also it's, it's really good, um, to kind of bring the Midwestern community together and, uh, starting to see some representation on the lists, which is, uh, it's great. Agreed. Um, our hospitality industry is all about passionate and dedicated people. So Emma, in your opinion, are there any particular people or organization that you think are having the greatest impact on our industry and moving it forward? One organization that I'm very into right now is um, Studio Atau. Founder um, Jenny Dorsey uh, is a chef, I believe, comes from a cooking background. And so it's a food and social justice kind of organization. And they're doing a lot of really good work on different fronts. But um, as a writer and editor, I think the resource of theirs that I've used the most and found to be the most valuable um, is the materials that they've put together on um, equitable representation in media. Um, I think it's, it's, it's been above and beyond other resources that I found in that respect. Um, so I've used it a lot. Um, you know, essentially the goal is to, uh, make sure that my coverage is more inclusive, um, and more representative of a lot of different kinds of experiences and backgrounds, um, you know, how to avoid things like tokenism, um, you know, uh, things of that nature. You're doing really good work. All right. What's your favorite cocktail? And if you could choose one person, who would you share it with and why? You know, for the most part, um, I'm drinking gin cocktails. So if it's not a Negroni or a gin tonic, um, I love a good hanky-panky. Uh, I think that might be one of my absolute favorite cocktails. And I think I'm happiest when I'm drinking them at home with my spouse <laughs> after, you know, a long week of work where I feel like I've, I've done enough work to earn some, some rest for the weekend. That's beautiful. And also my best, um, person to share a cocktail or two is my spouse, Michael, as yeah. well. <laughs> Me too. We're all on the same page. <laughs> Love it. So you travel so much, right, for your job and uh, for personally, business-wise. So what country is on your bucket list to visit and why? Oh, my goodness. There are so many places that I want to go. I've got a few family trips coming up, Texas for the holidays, um, where my in-laws still live. And then um, maybe a quick pit stop in New York around the holidays, which is, in my opinion, the best time to be in New York. Um, and then next for work, I'm going back to Mexico. So um, hopefully in the first quarter of next year, I'm going to be bar hopping in the Yucatan and also heading back to Oaxaca. Um, last summer, I was supposed to, I had a trip planned to go up into the Sierra Norte in Oaxaca and visit um, rum producers. And um, unfortunately, that had to be postponed. And so I'm hoping to go to Oaxaca for uh, a much longer uh, run this time, maybe two or three weeks, so I can make it up to the mountains a few times and also check in and see what's going on on the mezcal front down there. Amazing. We're, we're jealous. Yeah. Mexico is magical. It is. No it question. is so wonderful. So Emma, what's, what's the best way for our listeners to contact you? Uh, I would say by email, 
I've got the official Good Beer Hunting email address, um, which is great for pitches on that front. I'm pretty sure it's emma.jansen at goodbeerhunting.com. Um, and then, um, Instagram is pretty good. I'm, I'm, I try to stay on top of my DMs. Um, and I'm just at Emma Jansen over there. I, you know, I, again, I try to stay on top of all things social, but, um, it can be challenging. So forgive me if it takes a while to get back to you. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, <laughs> especially with the travel these days. Um, I can be very delayed to reply. It's worth the wait. Exactly. Ah, thanks. Do you also want to, you know, mention your website? Yeah. Um, yeah. EmmaJansen.com. Um, I try to also keep updated with whatever I'm working on. And that has um, a contact form as well, I believe, if you want to just contact my normal Gmail account. You can find that there. Amazing. Emma, thank you so much for your time and, and joining us today. And it means so much to us and our community. So we appreciate your time and you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Can't wait to see you in New York. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. That was a very spirited conversation with Emma. Now that you know what Emma is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.analeecommunications.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together. <laughs>